Love to be in the house of the Lord. We started a new mini-series, and of course, there's no such thing as a mini-series when you come to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but we're talking about the crucified one. And I want you to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verse 20. I hope you're ready to do some uh, jumping in the Scriptures, leaping from truth to truth for a little bit tonight because it is a wonderful blessing to know who Jesus Christ really is. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to use for a subject tonight, somebody died for me. You may be seated. Kind of a little bit of a testimony tonight. Somebody died for me. I was out in the state of Nevada, and we were preaching a revival there, and I went into a 7-Eleven and in that 7-Eleven, I was sharing with the clerk, the one over the cash register, about how dynamic Jesus Christ really is. And I was sharing with him, and, and, and he was a believer, and he just really lit up when he found out that I was preaching in the area. And we got to talking about Jesus. Well, this man walks up to the counter, and he asks the person behind the counter, I want a fifth of Jim Bean. What a Jim Bean or, um, I think it was Jim Bean. Anyway, I don't know, but any of it will burn. Amen. And so he got the whiskey and put it on the counter. And the guy looked at me and he said, what are you guys talking about? I said, I'm talking about Jesus, the Son of God, and how he died for our sins. And he said, what does a man who died hundreds and hundreds of years ago have to do with me. And I said, well, Jesus was not just an ordinary man. He says, I know that. He was a great teacher. I said, well, he was a powerful man, a man that did miracles. And he said, I know that. But what does a man dying on the cross have to do with me? I said, he was a good man, yes. He was a teacher, yes. A miracle worker, yes. He said, you haven't answered my question. What does this, he thought he had me. Folks, you got to get up really early in the morning to get me. <laughs> Amen. Especially when you're already half drunk. And he said, well, what's it got to do with me? And I said, nothing if he was just a man. But I said, he was not just a man, he's God in flesh. He was, he was God inside of him, reconciling the world unto himself. He said, oh. And he told the cash register person, put that bottle back. I've got to go talk to my wife. And he walked out the door. Now, I don't know what he had to talk to his wife about, but evidently his wife did not approve of what he was buying, and he's going to go talk to his wife. 
I was preaching a revival up in the High Sierra Mountains there in Pyramid Lake in the Indian Reservation, and they grow some really big Indians up there. I mean, they are, they are homegrown, American-built Indians up there. And I'm in this little church, and I had a pew all the way across. You know, it was a small church, about the size of the middle of this facility here, and pew all the way across it, so you, you had to go against the wall to come around. And I'm preaching away, and this great big Indian walks through the back door. He's huge. He makes me look like, well, like little Jimmy. He was huge and tall and wide, and he had on his side a knife. And he come in. He's woolly. He sits down in the back, and I'm preaching away. And I, I shared Jesus and what he could do for them and what, how he died on the cross of Calvary. And in the process of speaking, I said something to him that's not exactly correct. In fact, I said to the whole congregation, come to Jesus Christ. And if you don't like it, the devil will have you back. Well, the truth is, the devil don't want you back after you've been washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. The truth is, the devil don't want you back once you've been changed by the power of God. The devil don't want you back because you're brainwashed in the blood of Jesus. You're changed by the power of God. So the devil doesn't want you back. He just wants you out of business. And so this man, instead of coming around the side, he just walked over the top of the chairs. I mean, he just walked over the top of the pews, and he's coming toward me. And I'm thinking, this ain't good. I mean, he, people are just parting. He's just parting people aside, just walking up the pews. And he comes to the front, and he steps down in front, and he says, preacher? And I said, he said, preacher? And I stepped down there, not real close to him, and he said, do you believe that stuff you just preached? I said, yes, I do. He said, well, you finally made sense to me tonight. I'm going to have Jesus Christ as my personal Savior because I'm under conviction and I ain't been able to sleep for weeks. He said, I want Jesus in my heart. And he said, if I don't like it, you said the devil had me back. Well, I didn't tell him that the devil wouldn't have him back, but would try to put him out of business. I mean, no, Jesus put the devil out of business. And the only reason he's messing with you is you're letting him in your business. Don't let the devil in your business, amen? In fact, I don't want you in my business, and I dead sure don't want the devil in my business, amen? I don't want anybody in my business when it comes to preaching. I've said it before, there's two places in this church you cannot go with me at. One is behind the pulpit preaching, the other one is the bathroom. Those are two places that are off limits. Amen. You ladies are saying, you don't have to worry about that. But you never know. In the day we live, some folks can't figure out what they are. The Bible says... I am crucified with Christ. 
Apostle Paul said, what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary killed me, destroyed my past, destroyed my wickedness, destroyed my sin. What Jesus Christ did on the cross killed me, crucified me, put me to shame, put me in the spiritual graveyard. But he said, it's so beautiful to be dead. I love being crucified with Christ because nevertheless, I'm having the best time of my life. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not me. It's Jesus in me, living through me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. Faith of the Son of God. And so we see that at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, no one will ever really be saved till they see themselves punished on the cross with Jesus. No one will really ever be saved till they have the revelation. I belong up there. I, do, I belong with the crown of thorns on my head. I belong beaten. I belong spit upon. I, the greatest man who ever lived, the Son of God, healing the sick, raising the dead, cleansing the leper, feeding the hungry, the greatest one that has ever walked this planet, God among us. They spit in his face. They beat him. They cursed him. They mutilated his body. They beat him, and he was crucified on the cross, and that's where I should be. Not him. Not him. Not him that cleansed the leper. Not him that raised the dead. Me, me, me. I'm the one that should be there because I'm the one that has violated the justice and the holiness of God. And one day I seen that I was crucified with Christ. The Bible became very real in my life, and if the Bible isn't real in your life, you've got a long way to go yet. Because if, if the Bible is real in your life, you'll have to join with me in the title of this message, Somebody Died for Me. Not just anyone, somebody died for me. The pre-existing God of all creation died for me. The sovereign God of the universe died for me. Not just anyone, but Jesus died for me. Somebody died for me. Not just someone died for me, somebody died for me. How many would agree that Jesus is definitely a somebody? Amen. He's the biggest somebody I know. He's the, he's the most beautiful somebody I've ever heard of. He is the somebody that can keep us out of the wrath and the graveyard of despair. He is the somebody that can keep us out of hell. He is the somebody that can wash us clean of our sins because he is the somebody that died for me. I want us to look at that just for a little bit tonight of who Jesus Christ is. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Somebody died for me. 
let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, there are people that try to teach that we are equal with God. There are people that try to teach because God is in us, then we have exactly the same momentum and power that God has. There are some people that teach that since we've been born again, we are a little God, and we are equal with God, and we should not feel like we are violating the things of God because we are now in the form of God. Wrong, 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 wrong. Verse 6. Jesus, who being in the form of God, you say, well, what does it mean by letting this mind be in you, which is Christ Jesus? A mind of being a servant. A mind of being humble. A mind of caring about others' needs. A mind that is forgiving. A mind that is sharing. A mind that is stretching out to help others. That's the kind of mind. A pure mind. A mind focused on your Father in heaven. The mind of Christ. Wisdom from above. But notice it says who, and the who is Jesus. Being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now there are preachers that use that verse and say, see there? Uh, You know, it's not robbery for me to claim that I'm equal with God. Well, that's totally wrong because you never were, nor was I ever first in the form of God. Jesus, before he came to planet Earth, is in the form of God. That's what it says. Let, it says, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, Jesus Christ did not start in Bethlehem. Jesus Christ didn't begin there born on the earth. Jesus Christ came from above. You didn't. If you got any doubt about that, read St. John chapter 3, you came from beneath, from the earth. I was reading a script, some scripture because I've been writing a book about my name is Adam, and I was reading some scripture by different religious persuasions, and they were talking about how Adam came to earth from heaven, and Eve came with him. Wrong. My Bible says that God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. If that's not coming from the earth, I don't know what is. Amen? All the, all the life of Adam, all of his essence of Adam, everything in Adam was breathed into him by the life of God Almighty. Adam began in that dust pile. And you and I have begun in this dust pile of planet earth. But Jesus was not in a dust pile. In the beginning, he was sitting on his throne with his father. Streets of gold, walls of jasper, the mighty God, the sovereign God, the the God of all creation. That's Jesus. Woo! Hallelujah! Jesus is in heaven with his Father. You say, well, I don't believe that. because, Well, the Bible says that God is the everlasting Father. Well, how can you be an everlasting Father without having an everlasting Son? 
And God is the everlasting son. How can you be an everlasting son without having an everlasting father? And if you have everlasting life, how can you have everlasting life without having the Holy Spirit of God, the, the, the Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost? Amen. Jesus came down from heaven and who was in the form of God in the beginning, now he comes to become in the form of man. He robes himself as a man. Now let me say this, because this is very important that you catch hold of what I'm about to say. How many ever read the scripture in Genesis where God says, let us make man after our own, our own image, after our own likeness? Read that scripture, Genesis? Let us make man after our own image, after our own likeness. And God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. He was not talking about his image as father. God is a spirit. He was not talking about Jesus in heaven. He was talking about Jesus going to be formed on earth. When God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, God was looking ahead to a last Adam, to a more powerful Adam, to an Adam that had more brains, to an Adam that had more power, to an Adam that was incredible. His name is Jesus Christ. And so when God formed Adam from the dust of the ground, he said, let us make man after our own image. So he gave man hands so that the last Adam could touch the leper. He gave man vocal cords so that the last Adam could communicate with his father in prayer. He gave man legs so the last Adam could walk the shores of Galilee and walk up and down the villages and cities uh, in, in Israel announcing the good news of God. He gave Adam, the last Adam, eyes so that he could see through his eyes and see the world as God. And only God can see. That's what he's talking about. And Jesus was in the form of God. Notice what it says in verse 6. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Where was he equal with God? When he got to earth. But not you and I. Now God equalized things for us, but I'm not equal with God. John 3.16 is the great equalizer. The gospel is a great equalizer. But he made of himself of no reputation, took upon him, here's the word, the form. Now notice in verse, nine, uh, verse 6, he's the form of God. But in verse 7, he's the form of a servant. And he's made in the likeness of flesh or the likeness of men who being found Aren't you glad that Jesus found us? Aren't you glad that we found Jesus? Who, who being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to death. You know why Jesus had to become obedient to death? Because death couldn't kill him. He had to lay his life down and give his life for you and I. Now, death can kill us, 
But death couldn't kill Jesus. So Jesus had to voluntarily, vicariously die for us. He died in our behalf. He died in our behalf. He suffered on our behalf. He, he, was, he was made a servant in our behalf. He walked among men in our behalf. He was found fashioned as a man. He humbled himself. He humbled himself to death. He humbled himself to the world. He humbled himself. And he even humbled himself to the point that he humbled, humbled himself even to the point of the cross, the death of the cross. Now, the Roman soldiers were horribly cruel, and the form of execution on the cross was the most painful, most deadly, most embarrassing and shameful death that anyone could have. Not only was the cross crucifixion to maximize the suffering, it was also to maximize the shame and the disgrace. And Jesus Christ humbled himself and became obedient to the death of the cross because he was willing to take our place. Whoo, somebody died for me. Somebody gave his life for my sins. His name is Jesus Christ, Lord of glory, the sovereign God of the universe. Death comes to Jesus Christ, and the Pharisees say, we're gonna stone him to death, and Jesus says, not today. We're going to force him off a, a cliff and kill him. And Jesus said, not today. I, we're going to get that man. We're going to stone that man. We're going to kill that man. And Jesus said, I, 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 not today. Because you're not running this thing. Jesus is running this thing. Amen? They maybe picked up their rocks and... They said, where did he go? Where did he go? Where did he go? And so they dropped the rocks. Amen. When it came time to die, Jesus Christ humbled himself even to the death of the cross. The cross was elevated from the earth between heaven and earth. The altar was always elevated up off the earth and suspended by, by first dirt, then rocks, and then lifted up in the wood for the burnt offering. And the offering was always offered to God, suspended between the ground and heaven. In fact, the altar began with dirt and was completed with stones, rocks. Upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. Remember Naaman the leper? And he had two donkeys, and he told Elisha, let me have two donkeys. And one donkey, Naaman, was going to cover, put a big old sack, a big old bunch of dirt on and the other donkey, he was going to put rocks on. Because what he was going to do is take a piece of Israel with him to his land of Syria. And he's going to make sure that he had some promised land merchandise. 
And he built an altar unto the living God. And he sacrificed unto the living God. I want you to know Jesus Christ came to a country that is his, yes, but it had been bankrupt with sin. It had been polluted with wickedness. And Jesus Christ came here as a ransom because sin had kidnapped our soul. Jesus Christ came here as an atonement to give us eternal life. And the atonement took place when the priest went into the veil of the temple. The, the um, oil lamps was in the inner part of the temple. The shoe bread, the incense, um, all of that, the lampstand was in the second part of the, of, of the, court, of the, the, the temple. And they put the incense right there up against the veil of the temple. And the incense were to filter through that curtain into the holy place. The holy place did not have lights. The holy place was pitch dark. And the priest would go in in that dark place and pitch dark. First he opens the veil and all God smells is sweet incense. Beautiful smell. Worship and praise to God. The priest goes in behind the veil and he offers the blood. And if the blood was accepted, the inner holiest of holies would be illuminated with light. And there'd be a light consumed. And the priest could walk out of the veil and say, He has accepted our atonement. He has accepted our sacrifice. Well, Jesus Christ came down here in the dark world. And he was crucified. And by the way, it was at the cross where it became total dark. Darker than, blacker than the Egyptian midnight. No one knows exactly what happened in that three hours, but it was dark. It was dark as it could be. People probably couldn't even move. It was so dark. And no one really knows what happened in that dark time span, about three hours of total darkness. But I'll tell you what happened. God illuminated the mind and the heart of his son, Jesus and the sacrifice was accepted. Isn't that good? God come to me. I don't have a spark of divinity in me. I used to eat a lot of divinity, but I don't have a spark of divinity in me. And there's people that will preach, well, you know, in man is a little bit of divinity. No, there's not. Man is totally corrupt. Anything that man's going to get, God has to put in there. Anything that you and I are going to get, God has to put in us. And anything we're going to get rid of, God has to take out of us. This is a put in, get out proposition. Jesus Christ says, I'll take it out 
I'll put it in, I'll take it out, I'll put it in, I'll take out the darkness, I'll take out the pain, I'll take out the shame, I'll take out the, the rebellion, I'll take out the sin, I'll take out the afflictions and the, uh, uh, the uh, addictions, I'll take out the jealousy, I'll take out the unforgiveness, I'll take it out and I'll put my son in you and you can shout, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, Christ lives in me. I'm still living. I'm dead, but I'm still living because God has given me a new life. And so when Jesus Christ became obedient to death on that cross, he basically said to death, okay, all right, you can take me now. And death was so stupid to take Jesus up on it. Never argue with God. He always wins. Never fight with God. He always wins. And what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary, he put out death. He put out the wages of sin. He paid the price. He took death like a man would take a lit cigarette butt and flip it on the ground. And Jesus Christ, as a man would flip a lit cigarette butt on the ground, and a man would take his foot and just grind it down and put the fire out and scatter the, the, everything about that, that old cigarette butt. Let me tell you, friends, when death come, Jesus Christ put his foot on the butt of death, hell, in the grave. And he took his foot and he crushed it and he put it out. And he put out the fires of hell for you and I. He put out death for you and I. He put it all out and brought life to our soul because he was not just a man. He He's the somebody. He's the God of all heaven and the God of all salvation. Woo! So he became obedient. Because of that, God gave him a name above every name. And that name is the Lord. The Lord. I want, you to, I want to show you something else that's very Wonderful. Not only did somebody die for me, that, who, that is Jesus, but somebody won for me and still wins. Somebody won for me and still wins. John 16, 33, the last verse of chapter 16 of St. John, these things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Shout, your victory's not in your ability. Shout, your victory's not in your stability. Shout, your victory's not in your stickability. Shout, your victory's not in your, your, your way and your power and your, the gritting of your spiritual tree, uh, true, uh, teeth. The victory is in Jesus Christ, not in us, not in us, but in him, but in him. Victory is in Jesus Christ. Peace comes from him. He spoke these things that peace would, we'd have peace because we're going to be in a world that's full of tribulation. Somebody won my battle and keeps winning my battles, keeps forgiving me. Am I the only one in here that needs to be forgiven occasionally, often, sometimes? Am I, am I the only one that needs to be forgiven almost on a regular basis? 
Now, I don't mean I'm snicking out of town to buy Judy cigars. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I'm not talking about sneaking down the neighbor's house and stealing chickens and bringing them up to Judy. Let's move right along. I don't even like the thoughts of that. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 15. Colossians chapter 2. Jesus still wins my battles. Isn't that good? Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, 14, and 15. And you... Yeah, you. Yeah, you and you and you and you and you. Yeah, you pretty boy. Yeah, you sassy lady. Yeah, you. You being dead in your sins, meaning you've overcome, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning that you sin has got a hold of you, hath Jesus quickened. The word quickened means made alive. Together with him, having forgiven all, forgiven you all trespasses. I love that. You being dead in sin, yet Jesus comes and makes us alive. Isn't that good? The word quicken means made alive. Amen? When I was driving down in Texas, I learned the true meaning of the quick and the dead. If you're not quick, you're dead. And I want to tell you, be quick to turn to Jesus Christ or you're dead. And you're living in death. Notice verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of the ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now, the way they did business in those days is they would take all your transgressions, all your wrongs, and they would go down to the town meeting place and they would take a nail and they would, they would nail your transgressions on that meeting board. And you could go down any time and see your sin written down. But Jesus Christ came and he blotted out those things that were written against you and I. The ordinances that was against us, the violations in our life, he blotted it out. I want to say he blooded it out. The handwriting of the ordinances which was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Isn't that good? Nailing it to, not the cross, his cross. Nailing it to his cross. I guess I could say, Jesus, you nailed it. I got peace in my heart because Jesus nailed it. I'm going to heaven because Jesus nailed it. I'm forgiven of my sins because Jesus nailed it. I'm going to heaven despite what the devil thinks about it because Jesus nailed it. He nailed it to the cross. He took all my wickedness and nailed it to the cross. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life I now live in the flesh is by the faith of the Son of God. He nailed it. How many would agree Jesus nailed it? He made a leper, he nailed it. 
They were out of wine in Canaan. He nailed it. I preached a sermon on Mother's Day one time. Why did Jesus turn the water into wine? Mama made him do it. That's pretty true. In fact, it is true. Because he wasn't going to do it until Mama said, well, you know, you got the goods, do it. And then she was so sassy, she turned to the crowd and said, now whatever he tells you to do, do it. Talk about putting her son on the spot. And how many know Jesus nailed it? He nailed it to the cross, nailed my shame, nailed my hell to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. That verse leads us to believe that Jesus Christ stripped all the principalities and powers start naked. He stripped the devil naked. Well, I'm not really wanting to see a naked devil, but anyway, he was, he was stripped. Amen? I'm preaching better than you're responding. Thank you for that amen. There was two of them. Who's counting? I am. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Jesus Christ, somebody won for me and still wins. Look at Romans 8, verse 37 and 39. Romans 8, 37 to 39. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nothing high, nothing deep, no depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If that don't wet your spiritual shouting whistle, you're in trouble. Woo, praise the Lord. Notice, we are more than conquerors in Christ. I've shared this, this illustration before, but it's really a good illustration. A man goes out and works all week long. He works, he labors. Well, Chris, he works hard. Chris is a hardworking man. And he conquers a paycheck. He gets home, and Julie says, and Julie takes Chris's paycheck. Julie is more than a conqueror. That's what Jesus did for us. He went out and did it all for us. And then we just come to church and say, Jesus, <laughs> I know you want to give it to me. I know you love me. I know you care. I believe in you. And we become more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That's a good illustration, isn't it? It's hard on Chris, but it's the truth. Truth is the truth. Somebody died for me. Somebody wins for me. Now let's look at somebody's coming for me. 
Somebody's coming for me. Jesus, we just read in Romans chapter 8, Jesus wins in the graveyard. He wins in the wickedness of sin. He wins in the darkness. He wins in the tribulation. Jesus wins in our heartbreak. He wins in our troubled life. He wins in our tribulations and persecution. He wins in our bitter arguments and our hard times of unforgiveness or stress or or, or, uh, lives full of stress-filled worry. He wins. He wins. He wins. And he brings peace to us, love to us, eternal life to us. He saves us and gives us eternal life. And we are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. And I'm still winning. Winning. Everybody say winning. See, I'm too busy winning to lose. Amen? So what if you fall and trip and stumble? Well, it ain't over yet. Hello? What are you going to do if you get knocked down? I'm going to get up. What do you think I'm going to do? Just lay there and moan? And if I'm dead, Jesus will get me up. Hello? There's no excuse for you bombing out and going to hell. I mean, there's just no excuse. There's no excuse for you not being victorious in life because Jesus paid it all. Amen? Amen? I talked about somebody died for me. I talked about somebody wins for me and still winning for me. I want to talk about somebody that's coming for me. Somebody is coming for me. Not just anybody, but somebody. That somebody is Jesus who rose again from the grave. That somebody is the one that holds the death, holds the death hell in the grave, the keys to death hell in the grave in the, on his fingertips in Revelation chapter 1. That somebody that says, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I hold the keys of death hell in the grave. Death and hell. Jesus Christ, that somebody is the sovereign God of all the universe, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and came to give us eternal life. That one somebody who died for me, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that somebody who still wins for me, and that somebody is coming back to get me. Now let me say as I come to a close tonight, he's not coming back to get me to kill me. He's not coming back to get me to punish me. He's not coming back to shame me or condemn me. He's coming back to bless me. He's coming back to fulfill my salvation, body, soul, and spirit. He's coming back to complete the salvation of my body, my complete redemption, body, soul, and spirit. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. This will be the last two verses we'll go to tonight. For our conversation is in heaven. You better believe it. My life is in heaven. You better believe it. Heaven's the only thing worth talking about. Our conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for who? The Savior. And who is the Savior? The Lord Jesus Christ. Our life, what we talk about, what we believe, what we think about is our Savior, 
that's our conversation in heaven. That's our home. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I am a citizen of heaven. And we look for the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's he coming to do? Well, if this vile body goes to the graveyard, he's going to get me up. Notice verse 21, who shall change our vile bodies. Now, if you don't believe that, you've never had a toothache. Our vile bodies. Our vile bodies got to be washed and bathed and fed and pampered. You're going to change our vile bodies. I get a little amused at these little teenage girls that think they're so pretty. And these little boys that just think they're so cute. They're pretty boys. Well, I could easily be a pretty boy, but I have to work at it not to be so pretty. <laughs> but these, these little pretty boys, these little girls, listen, you might think it's all right when you're a teenager and you look pretty nice, but one of these days, whammy, you're going to discover your body is vile. Things are going to quit working. Things are going to break down. And the older you get, the more you realize your body is vile. Amen? And said that he'll come to change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. He's going to make us like his glorious body. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. In other words, Jesus Christ is able to subdue everything in the graveyard unto himself. Jesus Christ is able to make everything brand new. Jesus Christ is able to make everything right, perfect. And one day this vile body is going to be a glorious body like Jesus' body. If he comes tonight in rapture, my body will be changed. If he comes to the graveyard, my body will still be changed. When he comes, there's a great change taking place. When he comes, we're going to get a glorious body because my Savior, somebody's coming for me. And by the way, he knows the way because he's been there. He was there. He came here and he went back and he's coming back again. I mean, common sense tells you if he lived there throughout eternity, Jesus, and then he came down here and then he went back up there, common sense tells me that he knows the way back here. Amen? And he'll find us. Job said, though I sleep in the earth, though I sleep, he said, I, I'll hear, I'm somewhere listening. I'll be somewhere listening for my name. Amen. Did you know Jesus never raised the dead by laying heads on them, slapping them on the forehead, saying, get up. Did you know Jesus never did that? Did you know Jesus never got a hold of the dead person, yanked him out of the casket, and shook him around and said, I'm telling you, you need to snap out of it. No, the thing that Jesus did is he just spoke. Tabitha, arise. Lazarus, come forth. Young man, I say unto thee, arise. 
Why? Because the young man in the city of Nain and the young damsel there out at Capernaum and that Lazarus outside of Bethany were somewhere listening for their name. Isn't that good? See, when someone dies, they don't just cease to be. They just go to another locale. And Jesus can call you out wherever you are. Amen? Hello. Praise the Lord. I had someone tell me one time, I'm going to be cremated so God can't find me. And I said, have you got any idea how stupid that sounds? God made Adam out of the dust of the ground. God knows the DNA. He knows everything. He knows the reset button. Oh, I'll be scattered all over the Lake Tahoe and nobody will find me. I said, yeah, you'll be found all right. You're going to stand before Jesus in mud. You're going to be raised. You're going to be judged. Amen. You can't run from God. You can't hide from God. We're going to face God. And I'm glad that I can face him in the beautiful, smiling face of Jesus Christ. I'm more than a conqueror in Jesus. Stand with me. Hallelujah. Preach a little longer than I expected to tonight. Getting warmed up for tent meetings. Amen. Yeah, getting excited to hear Bobby preach. All right, I've already heard him preach once or twice. Man, he can sing. He does a better job than them boys he's got. <laughs> he makes them boys look like amateurs. Bobby's got one boy that can, uh, a tall, scrapping little guy. And I, I was looking at him and I think that boy can't sing. Which one is the boy that's got the tenor voice and can go way down in the bass? Which one's that? Who? Baby. His name is Baby. <laughs> baby. Baby. And when I looked at him, I thought, he can't sing as good as his dad. And he got to singing, and I couldn't believe he went plumb up past the steeple. He went way up into the clouds with a high voice. And then he went way down in the basement. And we don't even have a basement. <laughs> you trained him, didn't you? Don't you tell them boys I said you're better than all three of them, but you know, hey. We're looking forward to good stuff. Those are good boys. Amen. I better say that. I won't get myself in trouble. Anyone can sing like that baby can sing. He can whip me all over the county, I'm sure. Amen. Ready, 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 ready. Amen. Josh, go ahead.